I have written two previous podcasts. The first, Triangle is in German, the second, Off-Label in English. The German podcast is intended for the Viennese. I sent quite a few letters to Vienna. These letters contain a letter of recommendation from Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter, and another from Sir Karl Popper, an eminent philosopher of science. Popper advises me not to be angry with Anna Freud, but about that later on. Both Anna Freud and Karl Popper are from Vienna. I had another two friends from there, Rudolf Carnap and Paul Feyerabend. All four of them were very helpful to me. Then there are quite a few people in Vienna who have my family name. I have absolutely no clue why these connections converge to Vienna. Who have my... um, to Vienna. To my amazement, I also found out that the University of Vienna had part of my interaction with the logician Rudolf Carnap on file. I kept part of the letters from above, from the above four people, but I routinely threw my contributions away. I never was out for personal glory. I was after something else, solutions to carefully distilled problems, whether I could share them or not. The sharing part is not so easy. Let me give you an example. The very first contact I made in the USA was with Thomas Sauce, S-Z-A-S-Z, whose name I knew from books on psychopathology. We connected mentally with ease. I had devoured most of his books before. Then I got a request from the Journal of Mind and Behavior to write a synopsis about SARS. The first reviewer sent me 10 corrections. I never knew with these guys whether they were just stupid or actually vicious. It is not easy to decide because they actually might be both. So after 10 revisions, the reviewer said okay. Not so the journal itself. They sent me a new reviewer who began the process again. Tom Sass wrote me, your paper is the best that's on the market, but leave this lily-livered bunch alone. Try to publish somewhere else. No luck in in that respect either. From experience like that, I decided not to try it with the establishment anymore. Even before coming to the USA, I had my first experiences in this respect. The founder of the Journal of Mind and Behavior had been a professor of mine in a class on abnormal psychology at the University of Maryland Overseas Program. He was the guy who had hypnotized the whole class and run into problems with that. The incident is described on my website in the videos The Hypnotized Soldier. When I told the professor that I would attend another class of his, he got a very visible panic attack. Please, Gerhard, don't do that. You are the most overqualified student I ever had. 
I did it anyway. However, when I once, once dared to look at my watch, he became visibly disturbed and later asked me whether I had found his lecture boring. The guys have no clue. I have no interest in belittling anybody. But somehow these guys become very defensive around me. This should have prepared me for another experience. I had a master's degree in counseling from Boston University's overseas program. A professor there, Alan Dye, had become a friend of mine. When I told him that I wanted to apply at a doctoral program in clinical psychology because a PhD in counseling was considered second-rate in comparison, he told me, they're not going to take you. Do you remember the incident with your psychology professor at the University of Maryland? He was right. Forty programs declined me. After I had made an appointment with the department head at Notre Dame, he must have remembered who I was and had hidden from everybody I, as long as I was waiting for him. In the airplane, I came into discussion with an American. I told him that I had problems with the acceptance into a doc doctor program. He began to reveal his bag, bag of tricks of how to beat a not-so-perfect GPA. I told him, this is not my problem, it is the opposite. If you think that I'm complaining how badly I was treated, then you should consult the first episode of, episode of my podcast of Label. I'm actually glad that I got rejected by the establishment. However, Alan Dyer recommended me to his friend Nicholas Wack at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro, who greeted me with open arms. Even though he, had, he did not initially understand my dissertation idea, he, he revised his stance when the eminent scholar Michael Scriven intervened on my behalf. Now, here is something. Karl Popper and Paul Feyerabend had both died two years after I entered the doctoral program. I feared to have lost my support. Then a house burns down in California. Michael Scriven, a longtime colleague of Paul Feyerabend, is without a roof and comes to the department neighboring mine and says my dissertation. Again, I am glad not to have been accepted by the academic psychological community. They would not have liked me and I would have been much more lonely with them as I would have been with my wife Christine, my daughter Doris and myself. A lot of people sacrifice the happiness of their personal life to their professional achievements. How sad, however, if these sacrifices are in vain. Now, imagine two human clones of about 40 sitting in two identical offices with the same certificates and diplomas on the wall. 
both have received a week, a week-long course in how to listen to patients effectively. The diplomas and certificates show that the identical clones have had the best training in psychotherapy that there is and have received awards for outstanding achievements. Now comes the difference between the two clones. The certificates of clone 1 are real. Clone 0 has nothing of what clone 1 has done or achieved. Both see patients and both are very and equally effective. What can we infer from that? Effective listening seems to be enough, as much as food is for the starving. All the training and experiences is good, is experience is good for nothing. You should agree that it is, it is the duty of the programs to show by similar experiments that they teach something solid, something that cannot be done by someone who has received a week-long course on effective listening skills only. But to my knowledge, none of the programs have provided proof of their effectiveness. Now, a researcher at Carnegie Mellon came to the same conclusion. When I communicated that to Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, they started shredding or losing my bills. I reacted by sending the following letter. 01-24-2018 2. Mike Corsi, Commissioner, North Carolina Department of Insurance, 325 North Salisbury Street, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27603-1359. Certified mail response card included. Reference, file number 2018-01-00100. Dear Mike, Thank you for the quick answer. I understand that you cannot deal with single contract violations by insurance companies and that you have to concentrate it on the big violations by insurance companies. Such a big violation would be, for example, an insurance company paying big money for an empty pill, a pill that doesn't contain any active substances. The pill might be loved by the public, but that is no reason to pay for it, big money. The insurance company has to make sure that things like that do not happen. There are not only empty pills, but also empty services. The public might love them, but insurance companies should not pay for them. The famous researcher Robin Dawes wrote on pages 54 and 55 of his book, House of Cards, Psychology and Psychotherapy Built on Myth, which I have added. The results of such analysis, however, also imply that the credentials and experiences of the therapist don't matter. This result is rather unpleasant for professionals who require years of 
postgraduate training and postdoctoral experience for licensing to perform therapy, and who would like to restrict practice to those who are licensed. In the year after the Smith and Glass article was published, many attempts have been made to disprove their findings that the training, credential, and experience of therapists are irrelevant. These attempts have failed. I want to address your attention now to the unsolicited letter from a patient, Allison. In it, she describes that she had seen many professionals before without results, and then she starts thanking me that I could help her. But let me address your attention to one fact which is not in the letter. Alison drove intentionally off a cliff, survived the suicide attempt, attempt and cost her insurance company tons of money. In addition to insurance companies pay, paying for ineffective mental health services, they have to spend lots of money on remedying physical consequences of their failures. I communicated to Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, BCBS, repeatedly the above state of affairs, that I might have a remedy for the situation and offered cooperation to Mark Werner. I have sent numerous letters to him. The only reaction which I received was a very relentless campaign to sink me. Now the letter from Ellison, September the 25th, 2003. Dear Dr. Kreuz, thank you, thank you for profoundly changing my life. I suffered from depression as far back as I can remember. I am confident that I will never suffer from it again. Through the years I have seen different psychiatrists, psychologists and counselors that tried to help me with depression. I don't need to deal with it anymore because after seeing you, the depression is gone. Thanks to your help, I'm a better friend, wife and mother. I, now, I am now a friend to myself. I have a calm and happy heart with no underlying blue feelings. When sad, frustrating or uh, stressful situations arise, I feel sad, frustrated or challenged but not depressed. It is amazing to me that I can feel so good. I just had my 42nd birthday and this was the best year of my life. I always appreciated my family, friends and truly important things in life. Now I can enjoy these, those things completely. Thank you for giving me the gift of a truly happy life. With sincere thanks and warm regards, Ellison. Now Blue Cross Blue Shield reacted with panic. I got many calls, which I disregarded. I had to close my office anyway. I had become seriously sick with diabetes, a blood sugar level of 1600. Later on, extensive nerve damage with excruciating pain. 
and I had always wondered before how and when I would close my private practice. I'm slowly recovering though. Last year my wife Christine, of 55 years, died. Now my daughter Doris is afraid that I would be following her. Her anxiety is diminishing slowly. I'm making no indication so far that I intend to do that. I had a little stroke a few months ago, but got over that quickly. I tease Doris from time to time. I'm buying LEDs, yours and Griffin's presents already now. She, why do you do that? I, who knows whether I'm still alive at your birthdays. She gets panicky again. Are you sick and do not tell me? I, not that I know. I'm just reminding you. But thank you for the idea with the podcast. I would have gone into the great yonder without sharing anything. I had had enough of humankind. Most of them are just fucking idiots. Most of them are unhappy too. And they are too stupid to get the idea that the two things, stupidity and unhappiness, are the two faces of the same coin. That is my accusation. Humankind needs help in solving problems. Professionals should not engage in in wasting tons of resources and time in silly self-serving schemes. If these schemes were actually really self-serving, that would be at least something good. Instead, these so-called professionals torture each other. They have no fun at all, no drive and enjoyment like the four friend of mine, friends of mine. They did not have easy lives. They had beautiful ones like I did. And I wish that you have them too. So until next time, if I should make it. Gerard.